Lord, we are grateful you don't lie to us. You don't play with us. You don't manipulate us. You're straight out on the table as to who you are and what life is about. And God, you prepare us. You equip us. What you've called us to be and what you've called us to do, you have equipped us to be able to do that. And Lord, we're not talking about a boat race. We're talking about life. Life before you and life for you. God, in this room, I realize today we might have some people, and I assume we have some people who are at 400 meters, 500 meters in. And they're hurting. They're in that place of just wondering if it's worth it. Wondering if they should just stop. But Lord... This isn't a boat race, and this also is not a boat race that is finished by our strength. You push us to places that require us to be dependent on you. And only by the Spirit of God and the Word of God Can we be and do what you've called us to be and do? And I just pray that this text would illuminate all of that for us, bring encouragement to those who are hurting and for others who are in the boat here together, who are in even a sweet spot, just as it was mentioned, prepared because it's coming. Prepared people in community to serve you faithfully and well to the finish line. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me read verses 16 through 22, our verses for here for today. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise, despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Well, that's our text. And uh, as you probably grab a hold of this on first read, even second read, sometimes third read through this, I think one of the things that comes off in how we read this is there's a tendency for it to sound like a to-do list. Uh, Actually, the text contains eight imperative verbs, present active imperative verbs, present active. That means in the Greek, that means it's presently and continuously. It's, don't just, it's not in the past, it's not in the future, it's, it, it's something to, we're to be doing presently, actively, and continuously, and it's an imperative, not an indicative. It's an imperative, and that means it's a command. It's not please, that would really be nice if, here and there, when you choose to do it, it's, instead it's imperative, it's a command. It's a you must, is the idea. But there's eight imperatives in there, and when we read through this, it kind of can feel like a list of eight to-dos. And we have the nature about us, especially in Western culture, we have this nature about us where we end up taking this and put this into a list of eight to-dos to check off. And so it's like, today I did that one, did that one, got that one yet to do, did that one. Uh, but I want to note something grammatically here. This is really important because it's not eight sentences. 
If it were eight sentences, then I think it actually is more of a to-do list of eight imperative verbs of actions of things that we're called to do, but it's not that. If it was one sentence and it was all split by commas and all that, I would also think grammatically that that would be the case of eight ideas, uh, commands that we're supposed to have, but it's two sentences. How many? Two sentences. Uh, That's interesting because sentences contain its own set unit of thought within it. And actually, I think it's two sentences with eight imperative verbs because there's two main driving thoughts that are going on it. The first sentence contains three imperative verbs. The second sentence contains eight imperative verbs. We're, we're going we're gonna to go through these, but I think there's two main units of thoughts that are being driven off. The first is a call to biblical action. The first is a call to biblical action. The second is the grounding of those actions in biblical truth. Let me make this statement. Biblical calls to action are grounded in biblical truths. Biblical calls to action are grounded in biblical truths. Let's cover sentence one. It's verses 16 through 18 here. Remember the context overall, writing to people, it's a young church, young people, uh, young in Christ, and they're just in a culture of of some significant uh, tribulation. So I'm going to say it this way, in the pain, number one, we are to be a rejoicing people. We are to be a rejoicing people. Look at verse 16. Uh, What's it say? You tell me. Rejoice always. That's a present active imperative. It's a continuing idea. It really should be rejoicing. It's, it's presently, actively, continuously, I am rejoicing. And it rejoicing is the action of expect, express declarations of praise. Whether that's uh, from my heart, from my mind, silently being expressed, or whether it's verbally being expressed. What we were doing earlier together this morning was express declarations of praise together. Now, something very important in this. You do not have to feel joy to rejoice. Let me say that again. You do not have to feel joy to rejoice. That's Western culture mindset. We're feelings driven. In fact, we don't even think anymore. It's what do you feel about that? Watch the news. What do you feel about the hurricane? Like wind? No, what do you, okay, I'm off. But biblical rejoicing is grounded in biblical truth. I wonder what biblical truth would, re- would drive biblical rejoicing even when I'm not, quote, feeling joy in the moment of my suffering like God's people in Thessalonica were. Might it be who God is? Is bigger than my situation? Might it be an understanding of life in the time of redemptive history in which we live? This is not Disney World. We, we live in a spiritual war zone of redemptive history ever since Genesis 3 until the Lord returns and makes everything right. We live in a war zone. But might it be biblical truth that salvation in Christ and relationship with Christ is of more value than the cost of any persecution one could have?
Might it be that God's sovereign purposes, which are so often mysteries to us on what God is doing, but knowing that is the case, might it be that God's will for my life, for your life, for our life, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, our sanctification, that that is greater than my comfort and ease? In America, we worship ease. And we are all caught in the worship of it. I'll certainly say me as well. I love it when things are easy and comfortable. Rejoice in who? To who? Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. The text never tells us to rejoice in the circumstances. It's not the idea of, I love these circumstances and I praise God that tragedy is happening in my life. It's not saying that. It's praising as a vertical acknowledgement of who God is. And whatever is happening, whatever is being thrown my way, whatever is being allowed to have happen, I can ultimately respond like Job at the end of chapter 1. How is it that Job can fall down and give praiseworthy rejoicing to God when his kids just died, his employees just died, his empire was just crushed? Nowhere in the text does he say, I rejoice in all of that. He rejoices in who God is. In the pain of it all. There's no lighthearted, ah, I'll see him later in heaven. None of that's going on. He's in pain. And yet rejoicing, that's why rejoicing is truth-driven, not emotions-driven. By the way, how often are we supposed to rejoice? You tell me. Always. Like, that's a lot if I remember English right, right? That's a lot. And in fact, I can't think of times or things that aren't included in that. If I understand the word properly, am I right on that? Like always, that includes wonderful times, comfort times, easy times, glorious times. That includes times of pain. That includes times of fear. That includes times of loss. That includes times of grief. That includes times of hurt. That includes times of confusion. Always. God's people are to live with a habit of rejoicing. But again, I'm going to say it again because we just ha- we, it's so foreign to us. It doesn't mean we love what's happening. We love the who that is over all things that happen. And cut my head off? Cancerous death? We can still rejoice in who he is. Because rejoicing is a vertically driven, secured in the truth of who God is. We are to be a rejoicing people. Secondly, in the pain, we are to be a praying people. Verse 16 and 17, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Those two kind of go together. I mean, they make sense when you think about it because there's not a period, both 
neither in my um, English Standard Version, neither in my version, nor in the Greek. There's not a period there. There's not a period after pray without ceasing either. We're called to pray how often? Like, that's a lot too, isn't it? Like, those two, so rejoicing and prayer are supposed to, like, go together then. That's kind of what I have the idea. Do understand on this. This is not a call to where it's like every single moment, heads bowed, hands folded. Uh, That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about this idea where it's just like an attitude of it. It's a mindset of it. It's not repetitious, memorized prayers kind of a thing. It's just an ongoing communication with the Father through Christ. Think about that. Hold on for a second. Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote this, but we understand from Scripture that this is inspired by God himself. So these are God's words. That's why we call it God's word. These are God's word, and God tells us, present actively imperative, to be praying without ceasing. Isn't that interesting? God asks us to communicate with him. What does that then mean? God is interested in you and I communicating with him. Let me run that again. Because I really don't think, I I don't think we have this. God wants to hear from you and I. Not because he's like disconnected and doesn't know what's going on. This is not the phone game. And this is also not like I'm oblivious, can you keep me in touch with what's going on? No. God wants to hear from you and I. He wants that relationship. He wants throne conversations to where we're bringing ourselves, we're bringing our life, we're bringing others, we're bringing life and everything to the Father. And it's relationship. This is not Santa Claus. This is doing life with the Father. He's not at our beckoning call to do our beckoning bidding. He is God the Father overall, and through the work of Christ, our prayers are laid before the throne before him, not as a Santa Claus, but as one who is our God in whom is interested in having ongoing interaction with us. He wants to hear from you. By the way, not only does he want to hear from us, but he has the ability to answer prayer. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I don't get the full thing. I mean, a sovereign God who is doing what God, I am confident he will do what he will do. And yet I think this reveals our warped sense of who God is and what prayer is about. Because if God is going to do what God is going to do, why do we have to petition him? Well, maybe it's because God is going to do because prayer is about us putting ourselves at his feet and in his presence and just being with him in it and through it and thinking things out loud with him through it all. And maybe he just delights in us being there and hearing from rather than, oh, and I'd like a horsey. And, and a new car to pull the horsey. Is it, that's not relationship. By the way, bring that into the rejoicing thing. 
How about prayerful rejoicing where we're there just before the throne just because he wants us to do relationship with him. And he delights in us sheep struggling through life at his feet. Not that he delights in us struggling, but he delights that we're there with him, holding him, and praising him even when we don't get it. It is the sweetest thing when a little child trusts their parent in a moment of fear and hard time. And they're kind of at their own and they trust you. That is so sweet. I would suggest it is the same. It's a mystery. But what an opportunity. And it's a command. And even if I don't fully get it, I'm commanded to do it. Third imperative verb in sentence one is, in the pain we are to be a giving thanks people. Verse 18, or let me go 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. Pastor Doug, how is giving thanks different than rejoicing? Well, there are some similarities. Both are similar in that both are present active imperatives and we're commanded to do it. We don't just give thanks when it's been really good. We'd be giving thanks all the time. Same with rejoicing. Both are similar in that both are not about circumstances. By the way, do you know give thanks in all circumstances? The text does not say give thanks for the circumstances. There is a big difference in that. Big difference in that. Both are similar in that both are not feeling-based. They're truth-based. You do not have to feel thankful to give thanks. You do not have to feel thankful to give thanks. God, right now I'm struggling to be thankful, but I give thanks to you. Why? Because of truth. Because I know that even though I don't understand this, even though I don't get this, even though I frankly, I just really don't like it, and I'd rather have you just take this all away. I give you thanks because you are God rejoicing, and I rejoice in that. And as God, you are going to do something with this. And so even though I don't like it, I can thank you for it because you are God. I don't have to feel thankful to give thanks. Otherwise, the text would say, you must presently, actively, and imperatively feel thankful. It doesn't say that. But it does say, give thanks in all circumstances. Both are also similar in that uh, uh, both are not rejoicing or giving thanks for the circumstances. So what's the difference? I would term it this way. Rejoicing is grounded in who God is. Rejoicing is grounded in who God is. Giving thanks is grounded in what will be accomplished. Rejoicing is rejoicing in who God is. Giving thanks is grounded in what will be accomplished. I can expect that good is ultimately, whether here on earth or in eternity, that good will be done by God in this. 
that God does indeed, Romans 8, 28 and 29, work all things together for good. And while I might not know what that is, while I might not see what that is, while I might not even feel at the moment like anything good can come from this, I know from biblical truth that it will. And so I hunker down, rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. And I pull through the 400 500 meters. But here's the interesting part about all this. When you look at all this, how can that be done? Because I don't have the strength. You're right. We're going to go into the next verses, but before we do that, I want to finish the sentence. Look at the end of the sentence. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Wait, what is? The this is. Well, what is the this? Because grammatically in the sentence, the this could be referring to the prior item to it, or the this could be referring to all three items right before it. Grammatically in it, I'm convinced that this is referring to all three. That the this is the will of God for Christ Jesus in you, is referring to always rejoicing, unceasing in prayer, giving thanks in all things. That is the will of God. Let's put two statements together through the book of 1 Thessalonians talking about the will of God. In chapter 4, verse 3, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That's verse 1, that you would be walking in, walking for the Lord more and more. Progressive sanctification. That is the will of God for for you and me. Uh, By the way, here we have another statement. We're saying this is also the will of God for us. What is that? Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. You even just put those two together. How can I rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all things? Because verse chapter 4, verse 3, God is all about doing a growing work in you and I. It is founded in truth, personal confession. I haven't been doing so well in sentence 1. How about you? Karen and I are 10 years worn. Running on fumes of the fumes. And if I have my understanding of English correct, that's part of always. Just straight up with you. I haven't been very good in the rejoicing and the giving thanks. But God's will, chapter 4, verse 3, is your sanctification. And adversities reveal the real you and your real theology. And some of the things that the present adversities over the... Where we're at right now is revealing some things about me that I don't necessarily like. But it's revealing that growth needs to happen in me. How about you? Together, right? Together. I'm just tired of the games of everybody faking it like life's not a hard time. 
lactate acid. Well, we've got one more sentence to go and not a whole lot of time. And that's just the way it's supposed to be, I think. By the way, sentence one, you look at that and you go, who can do that? I've just told you I haven't been doing so well at it. But biblical call to action is grounded in biblical truth, so I think it would be a good idea, it would really be wise if we had some biblical truth right at the moment to ground the biblical actions just stated. So here's some biblical truth in sentence two. Sentence two. We must be a spirit of God, people. Let's start of sentence two, verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. We just The first song we sang was about fire fall down. That, that's the idea from Scripture of the Spirit of God come among, fall down upon us, fire. And this is the idea of don't quench that. This morning as I was in with some of the elders and we were praying this morning. It's like, oh God, we pray that your presence would be here and your presence would be strong and mighty among us. Oh God. In other words, it's this idea, don't quench the Spirit in all of things going on. Let's allow the Spirit of God to come and fill this place. We don't quench the Spirit. We don't extinguish the Spirit. We don't restrain the Spirit. In fact, Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is the sourcing. How is it that we can live out those calls to actions? Answer, by the Spirit of God alone. Don't man up. Don't woman up. And it's like, I just got to rejoice harder. And I got to pray harder. And I've got to be more stinking thankful. (laughs) That's not the point of it. That's why this is not a rowing race. This is at times God just pushes us to, to the place to where we've realized I can't do that. But God, I have to be dependent upon you and the Spirit of God can only work through us to be that because other, outside of that, normal people don't do that. But Spirit of God-driven people do. Oh God, fall upon us, Right? It's interesting in commentary discussions, this just so often gets to the charisma workings of the Spirit of God, and I just don't think the text is saying anything about that. I don't think it's going there. I think we sometimes have this preconceived idea. Plus, these people are in in trials and tribulations. They're young in the Lord. All kinds of things are going on, and they're just, they don't even have a New Testament. And it's this idea of, listen, let the Spirit of God do a work among you. Also, we must be a word of God people, not only a spirit of God people, but a word of God people. And I'm just going to cut to the chase here on this. Quenching the spirit does not have to reference the charisma activity of the spirit of God, because the spirit of God is involved as the one who gives revelation and conviction and illumination and drawing and sealing and leading and indwelling and powering and helping. I mean, all of those things are part of the work of the spirit of God and not despising prop. Prophecies. Prophecies can be foretelling. They can be forthtelling. I'm just going to leave it at that. It can be both. Which one is it? Actually, both of those are about real, revealing what God has to say. So if we stay with the core of the text and don't bring in other situations, because Thessalonica is not Corinth. 
And in this, I think we can bring this together of, listen, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise God's words. The declaration of God's word, do not despise those. Do not put those. And then it tells us uh, with the three more imperatives. So what does that look like? Uh, it looks like being ones that test are, as one's testing. You see in verse 21, but test everything. It's do not question spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. This is one sentence, an ongoing thought. In other words, there can be things that are untruth. And remember, they didn't have a full, complete word of God. We do. We have everything we need for life and godliness right here. And in that, yet in it, we need to be, at the nature of it, people that test things. Uh, We heard that, and so we're testing and examining that. And you should do the same with what happens here. Paul said that about him. Hey, what I say, go test it, Bereans. Make sure it's true. Be ones that are testing. And then the next two imperatives, as one's embracing and abstaining. Uh, But testing everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. All of that is one sentence in there. And, And again, just cut to the chase. It's kind of this idea, I understand it as I've worked through this. We've tested and examined, and that's truth, and we embrace truth. That's truth, and we embrace truth. And we've tested and examined that, and that's untruth, so we abstain. We abstain. Allow me to try and pull this all together. Let's imagine that life is wonderful and comfortable right now, and maybe that's your situation, where the circumstances of life are just really, it's a blessed season. Let's just imagine that. What is the will of God for you in that? What is the will of God for us in that? Chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, your sanctification, that even in a blessed time, this is not the time to cruise it. By the way, in a rowing race, when it's not feeling the pain, they don't just like hold their oar and go like, sweet! I think the brothers and sisters in the boat would have a word of encouragement for that from last Sunday, right? No, man, keep going, it's sweet. And in that, it's, Grounded in the Spirit of God and the Word of God, testing and embracing and abstaining as a follower of Christ, and out of even in that, those truths bring the reality, the action of, we rejoice in who you are, God. This is not a time to kick back from you. This is a time to continue pressing into you in the joy and in the blessing of this season of life. And God, we give thanks to you. Different scenario. Life hits hard. Let's say like a Category 5 hurricane. Figuratively here. And to ground it in the Spirit of God, Word of God people who have been testing and embracing, abstaining in understanding what God has revealed, in the Spirit of God, Word of God, people, it's out of that place, even out of a time that is hard. Even though I don't feel like it, I rejoice in who God is. 
Because when we understand where we're at in redemptive history, only by God's grace is this not a constant, every day, every moment, living hell. Only by God's grace. Is there any hope of salvation? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I just want to love you enough honestly to go, you are hopeless right now. But the person that comes and places their faith in Christ Jesus and the work that he did and receive the gift of that as the redeeming work in my place, he did what I could not do You have every reason to rejoice because the second person of the Trinity came down in the flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and provided salvation available. Oh my God, you are awesome. And in that I give thanks for all of that. I'm not feeling thankful right now. It's hard, it's heavy, it's anguishing. I'm confused. I mean, that's the Psalms. But you are God. And even when I don't get it, you do. And you promise. And you have. And you hold. And so I stay with you. Only... Spirit-driven, Word of God-driven people can be that and do that. And that's what we are presently, actively, imperatively called to do and be. And we are growing in that. And that may mean, like me, after a text like this. You just go, I am ashamed. But thank you for revealing that. And you do not cast aside, you hold. And you do not spew me out of your mouth In fact, you, you want ongoing, increased conversation. Thank you, Spirit of God, that you're doing a work in my life and our life. Thank you, Word of God, for the truths what you provide. We can press ahead. Amen. Amen?